I am thrilled to uh, be with you virtually and be with you all today. I wanna to thank you so much Aziz and 20 Summers for this really amazing and gift of time and this week to work through and reconsider Hawthorne Barn and work here. I myself am deaf, as you can see. My primary use of language is American Sign Language. Okay, I'm hoping everyone can see what I'm sharing. This PowerPoint is really unique. It's an important space here. I've had this opportunity here to really get a sense of this landscape around this area and ingrain myself in the idea of the sensory of the environment, the richness that's here. It's really very stimulating and activating in terms of, in terms of production. This week of experience for myself has been tremendous. Today, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how we look at this moment. We're in a very unique time with this pandemic. We'll soon be returning to quote unquote, a normalcy. What does normal look like? What does it mean to reconnect? What spaces do we want to recap, recapture and relive with amongst ourselves and with each other within our communities? It's been an interesting year with this pandemic. It's been overwhelming. It's really brought in this deep sense of absence and loss for many of us. Close family members. But there's also the sense of loss, of intimacy, of immediacy and community. At the same time, there's a staggering isolation that we've experienced in some shape or form. The pandemic has really impacted many communities and I really um, embody two of them. And I've received and I've inherited. One is the deaf community and the second is the Japanese American community. Within these two communities, our experiences um, impact and shaped, are shaped by and are in response to societal, societal isolation. I wanna show you first the deaf community. Our society at large really is primarily an audio-based spoken word hearing society. Deaf people experience a variety and dynamic degrees of isolation for over 200 centuries. At home, my family, for example, are not deaf. And they learn for the first time that, you know, in meeting, a deaf person learning sign language. Fortunately, my parents both started signing, but know that as a whole, 90% of children who are, who are deaf are born to hearing parents that don't sign. That disconnect within family and that experience of isolation within a family setting is profound for many of my colleagues and many in our community. This oftentimes, I really think about how we make a community that is more engaged and allows us to thrive and to be authentic and be our authentic selves in every area of life. Oftentimes we often experience isolation at a school for the deaf. 
they're typically run by a state or the state institutions that are distant and far away. But know that a space that really captures this idea is an island in Maine, about 15 minutes from Portland, this gorgeous Casco Bay. There's this island that is Mackworth Island. The deaf community knows this island as the home to Governor Baxter's School for the Deaf. This was founded as a deaf school on an island that represents the edge condition of deaf schools. We also see this edge condition in other typologies as well, and typologies of isolation. For example, asylums, incarceration facilities, hospitals, leper colonies, monasteries. This edge condition defines not just how we understand deafness, and dis but also disability. It also presents how we as our society decide what is quote unquote normal. Against that background of that exclusion, deaf people are persistent in looking for spaces of connection. This search is ingrained in the fabric of the deaf community. Through that search, we also witness thriving and growth of deaf culture as a direct challenge to the mindset and the vision of what people think about for disability and disability in body. We challenge that, that idea and we demand a richer understanding of, the, of humanity. If we look at the history of schools for the deaf and its architectures and their narratives and their messages that they're sharing, we can see how the build environment presents societal ideals around accountability, civic responsibility, roles of democracy and government, roles of our community in fostering and supporting the least fortunate. However, interestingly enough, this results in a large investment of capital and funding and commitment to maintaining and the care in society as a whole. What's in these schools is beautiful. They're ornate, these structures, they're enormous. They present societal virtues and inspirational civic pride and this confidence. But at the same time, this ornateness is a good example here. The school on the left is the Illinois School for the Deaf. The time this building was built, the structure could accommodate 200 students. But know that at the time, the Illinois School for the Deaf had nine deaf students. This begs the question, for whom was this school built? And what was its intended purpose? What's it, symbolic, what's it symbolizing? This forces us to address what it actually means to create space where the deaf community felt 
feels invited, brought in, and created for deaf people themselves to participate, not just to symbolize something to the state and symbolize state power in the state's agenda. This idea, there's this disconnect between its intent and its schooling and its design and its resulted function and its mismatch. We find ourselves in a similar moment today with this pandemic, our societal intents on how we actually occupy space, does it actually align with the intended purpose? It's a question I really wanna ask ourselves today. Similarly, during World War II, there's a mass removal and incarceration of Japanese Americans in, into concentration camps that were founded throughout in barren desert type lands. They pulled people and deprived them of their rights of democracy and citizenship. At the same time, more than that, it pushes the idea of xenophobia, this influence of not mutual understanding of trauma, there's this shame, and it still is carried forward into today. February 19th, 1942, President FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, ordered Japanese Americans on the West Coast, which embodied 90% of Japanese Americans throughout the United States, into incarceration without trial. That context of World War II and Pearl Harbor, this idea of fear, panic around our country, expressed and this marginalization of an entire community and race of Japanese Americans to deprive them of their humanity and their rights. My grandmother and her family were also ordered to take only what they could carry out of their home. She didn't know where she'd be going, where her final destination would be. And then she, they didn't know for how long, they had no idea. This idea of time is, re, this idea of time is finite. It's in a finite resource. It's now becoming an infinite and, and it's an infinite decision. This experience at these camps, confusion, not sure what to do. There's so much trauma involved and she never spoke of it, uh, her time at the internment camp. And her trauma became her way of bearing through and locking that away in time. Today, very few records are there on Japanese Americans' internments remain today. There's just a minuscule amount of literature in Japanese literature dealing with this experience. One example is a particular book I have in my hand, No No Boy by John Okada, authored in 1957. At that time, people were not ready for this very powerful piece of literature. It really did not was not recognized till much later in time, until the 70s and 80s, when activists and Asian American authors started to really pay attention and acknowledge this book 
it's now become more acknowledged, but it's really one of very few examples exploring the Japanese American experience in concentration camps, creating con this confusion, anger, division, and shame. Currently, many sites are locked away, are not accessible to the public. For example, Tule Lake, where my grandmother was interned, is now government property that's locked away and fenced off. Occasionally, even worse, those, those sites are redeveloped into housing developments. There is no acknowledgement of what atrocities occurred on those lands. For example, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the concentration camp there, there is no reference of it. It's now a suburban area today. This idea of this conspiracy of silence from our society, government and the like, but also within our community as well. This leads us to a really profound and deep history and memory erasure. Currently, what that means is my generation, I myself, I'm a fourth generation Japanese American. I experience this sense of, you know, this profound disconnect, ancestral disconnect. Even though my family tree can easily be tracked back at least 10 generations prior, we really cut off in 1942 as the beginning of our origin story within the Japanese American internment. My current generation is currently trying to find and collect the small pieces that exist, if any, that remain. Although I myself, it's, I have no idea, it's impossible for me to fully understand my grandmother's journey and her experience. But through all the years, over the last you know, 10 years since she's passed, I really began to discover traces of her time at the camp. My grandmother has two, had two rituals. The first, every day she would attend to her gardening and her garden process in the backyard. She would grow a variety of different vegetables and flowers and the like. This was a cherished ritual she did, maintaining this through, throughout the years, the spring, summer, and fall and winter seasons, maintaining this garden and its transitions. One of her rich daily rituals that my mother would show me, and we, I would join my grandmother outside in the garden. I would help her in gardening and tending to it. The other ritual she maintained was she would send me to Suru, which is the idea of Japanese origami. She would send me one of my favorite things on my birthday every year. Growing up, I didn't realize it at the time, and I didn't realize it until much later, but this internment, this incarceration that she experienced, maintaining this vegetable garden, really carried this, was carried through the sense of this pre-incarceration that carried through into the camp and beyond, this, this idea of growing vegetables at the camp and the idea of doing this ornamental gardening 
growing this, creating small moments of beauty within the camp really became this miracle within this inhospitable land, vegetables being grown and harvested, having food to eat and collecting, this activity of daily ritual of planting. At the same time, my grandmother and people at the camp would collect different shells from Thule Lake. Thule Lake is in an old archeological site, an ocean site that's since been gone. And what's left over here are various shells and seashells. And they would create small pins they would wear. They were beautiful. I'll show you some of the things they made. The, this, these very small, but very purposeful and intent, intended activities were done. It became an expression of hope during a moment of confusion and complexity and atrocities. These rituals can be seen as examples of gaman. Gaman is the Japanese word that describes the practice of enduring the seemingly unendurable with patience and dignity. Gaman is this acceptance, this mantra to help pass time within the camps. And throughout these rituals, we also identify a deeper exploration for connection, belonging, and home in an unfamiliar land. After the war ended and people dispersed, Japanese Americans were to go back to society. And, but that search wasn't about returning to familiar homes. Many people could not return to their pre-war home. Actually, that search for home became more about rediscovering what home could be. And through their lives, my grandmother maintained this garden every day and sent me to Suru, the crane, her way of emphasizing and marking time. It's also a way to foster connection. My grandmother didn't sign. She didn't know, she could fingerspell a little, but not enough to have deep conversations with me. However, she always invited me to sit with her and we would fold together. We would create origami together and fold cranes. The silence of folding and sharing created something together. She always emphasized the crane as being prideful. The head must be a little bit raised. It's graceful, it's elegant and dignified. And now as I look back on those times, this idea of making and producing and crafting wasn't just an activity you know, of 
preserving or preservation. It was actually an act of resistance. It was this act of this active resistance. This process of making and becoming, this idea of division and creating division, this idea of marking moments through government orders or through societal norms, through architectural drawings, through different papers and works of literature, things we fill out as a citizen questionnaire and checklists, your race, your ethnicity, your disability, all of that paperwork, all of that work feeds into this larger effort of division. Schools for the deaf, for example, where children are separated and pulled out from society, literally from their families, occasionally for months at a time. The schools for the deaf are far away and set aside. In this, they're underneath the ward of the state. Many schools for the deaf that exist for a long time were under the same agency that oversaw state institute or state correctional facilities and incarceration facilities. This shares information that deaf children, we think through what humanity, what humanity is there in that society? What was thought of, of schools? They were thought of as others, but understand that through this process of making, developing, language at a school, this newfounded explosion of community and culture thrived. The idea of this school is really a proportion and thought of as a sanctuary as well. It allows this activity of protest and resistance to thrive and this challenge to and to challenge the idea of you know what humanity is. On the right side of my screen here, in 1943, the US government distributed a loyalty questionnaire to Japanese Americans, Japanese American adults. This loyalty questionnaire that was handed out was a precondition to their release from the camps. This questionnaire really included two very confusing and dehumanizing questions. Question number 27 and 28 on this questionnaire basically asks, would you follow the US government's asks of you regardless of anything? And then would you also surrender any and all commitments to Japan and carry weapons against that heritage in that country. Those two questions influenced this and sowed division within families, within Japanese American communities, within between generations and amongst generations and amongst Americans. Presently and throughout this last year, we face a different sort of disconnect and distance and separation through the pandemic. Societal, societal distances and approaches, being six feet apart, wearing masks, working from home, isolating yourself, societal isolations and the like, 
quarantining makes us more familiar with spaces that we occupy and how we share those spaces in community with others. It's more foundational in how we connect with each other and ourselves. This isn't just an experience in a sense of loss in terms of proximity and connection. We also experience the forget, the for, we forget time. Like many of us, we find ourselves caught in this never ending time loop of Zoom meetings all day long. We're in a time capsule of our own. And actually, we only have moments where we can step out of that capsule and get outside of that and go for short walks in a world where time is seemingly is suspended. Currently, we are asking these questions and it begs our own questions and how we mark the passing of time. As we look back, in the deaf community, in the, on the deaf experience, in the Japanese American experience. In my own experience, as a fourth generation Japanese American, this disconnect of time is something that really is shaped by external factors in society. And in this present moment, we have this really unique moment where we can all recalibrate ourselves in our, in our connection and relationships to each other. We have an opportunity to ask ourselves to think through how we reconnect with each other. How do we reconnect on our own terms? The Japanese American community and the deaf community historically um, are, you know, are connected to societies on the outside. On the, out, on the outskirts of society, determined by government decisions and community decisions and others. But what does it mean right now that we have this moment to recalibrate, to reframe and reconnect with each other? What communities we want to create? What do we need to create for such a future where we are more collaborative with each other in ways that we envision and, and aspire towards? To that end, we ask ourselves a few questions and keep them in the back of our head throughout this week. I would love to open this up to all of you in the chat comments and Q&A to hear from all of you as well on these questions. Some of these questions that I'm thinking through, I'll just quickly run through them. With what or with who do we reconnect? Do we connect with ourselves, with our, with our ancestry? and our heritage, with our community, with other communities? Do we reconnect with time? Are we reconnecting with spaces? And how do we reconnect with those things on our own terms? As we reconnect, what will we remember? What will we carry forward? What will we acknowledge? What do we want our future generations to acknowledge? And what will we share with each other and ourselves and with the other generations and our legacy? Again, 
This is a question of what we create together, what that experience will be like. Will we just unintentionally recreate trauma or will we actually intentionally or happen to create joy? Some of these questions, as I, I ponder these questions this week during my time here in the, in the barn, where we are reconnecting with each other as we are getting vaccinated. You know, societal restrictions, distances are starting to expire. We're starting to return to that. What does that look like? Is that a return to normal? Or is this going to be something we can create a new future? It's an exciting moment. Scary moment, challenging moment. But this is an opportunity for all of us to make something together. I would, again, would love to hear any thoughts you have as, you re, as we want to talk about reconnection and as we all reconnect. I have this opportunity to think through a few of these questions through pr three primary studies on space of reconnection and reconnecting. There's this larger goal and aim in thinking through what spaces we create for our communities, working with the deaf community and with our approach as the Japanese American community, how do we connect and collaborate on a deeper cultural awareness and knowledge and carry that forward to create a more cohesive and, so and create solidarity within our communities. My first study says I wanted to look at the idea of this act of creating and how this simple table, this really innocent object could help us become a monument could help become a monument to making and creating this act of craft and development is necessary to really emphasize, to mark the passage of time, to put our humanity an imprint on this, on this idea of capturing this time. And if we don't make anything, is there anything that is presented as a witness to the passage of time. This making also becomes an act of nutrition and nourishing our endurance, our mindset, as we proceed through this complex, difficult time. As I look back and think about my grandmother and her experience and my experience at a school for the deaf, in these communities and these backgrounds and how we make spaces that invite people to participate in act of creating on their own terms in different ways. Some prefer small, intimate moments of creation. Others may prefer working in a larger group. Others may prefer to observe. How can we create some, something that an object that pulls those different uh, means and ways of engagement in with each other. The second study is this idea of spaces where we begin to 
address our society, our lower grade anxiety, and this opportunity of community and gathering. How we, some of us may be a little bit afraid, don't feel comfortable in you know fully incorporating ourselves into society. So there's this idea of reconnection and reconnecting. In the deaf community, what's significant is eye contact, having you know distance so you can create that contact. Ironically, when the pandemic hit, deaf people were already fitted into that with sign language. They already were six feet apart having that. We already accommodated that. And that's typically the norm. We create in circular formats with distance so we could all see each other. This is opportunity looking at how we can gather that spatial awareness and knowledge of the deaf community and make it you know, a garden of reconnection and reconnecting. That garden also invites spaces of gathering. And then when you're comfortable, you can invite in a more intimate gathering, a closer connection and seat yourselves closer. The idea of redeveloping and reconnecting a mutual understanding of each other. Finally, the third space I wanted to consider as I think through this is how we reconnect to a variety of times and different time periods, how we mark time. How do we understand how things have changed over time? how our values may evolve over time, how we may grow or change and evolve as a people and as a community. That process of reconnecting to our future selves and our future past really is the impetus to think through and move through different scales of time within our you know, daily lives and our lifetimes beyond knowing that we will actually stand in judgment by future generations who look back at us. And also knowing that we and future generations will look to us for guidance to chart their own path forward. I really thought this thought about in developing this, how we might be able to reconnect this linear and nonlinear paths, this more meandering experience of connecting to each other to make this memory and this monument to the future memories of ourselves. How we are aware of our time currently in this world, you know, typically we're gonna look at the idea of, in, of, of finite resources. We wanna be aware that time is expansive. Time will have connectivity to other generations. Time will have uh, different years and eras, you know, to maybe something really more finite, some a brief moment in time, to something even larger, to the infinite and indecidable. How do we then move through these different scales? So I'm hoping to really leave you with three things that I took away from my week here. As we address the idea of reconnection, how do we co-create with each other? How do we connect on our own terms, self-determination? 
how do we want people to connect with us and how do we connect with ourselves? How do we acknowledge our history and our present moment and create an abundance and an abundant future? How do we encapsulate and incorporate our sense of self and our sense of time? So I would love again to have further conversations with you all today. Again, it's been an honor to spend time with you and be have spent time this week in this amazing group of people, in this amazing community and environment. Thank you so much for this moment that we all are currently addressing. Thank you, thank you. We could all see each other. This is an opportunity looking at how we can gather that spatial awareness and knowledge of the deaf community and make it you know, a garden of reconnection and reconnecting. That garden also invites spaces of gathering. And then when you're comfortable, you can invite in a more intimate gathering, a closer connection and seat yourselves closer. The idea of redeveloping and reconnecting a mutual understanding of each other. Finally, the third space I wanted to consider is I think through this is how we reconnect to a variety of times and different time periods, how we mark time. How do we understand how things have changed over time? How our values may evolve over time, how we may grow or change and evolve as a people and as a community. That process of reconnecting to our future selves and our future past really is the impetus to think through and move through different scales of time within our you know, daily lives and our lifetimes beyond. Knowing that we will actually stand in judgment by future generations who look back at us. And also knowing that we and future generations will look to us for guidance to chart their own path forward. I really thought this thought about in developing this, how we might be able to reconnect this linear and nonlinear paths, this more meandering experience of connecting to each other to make this memory and this monument to the future memories of ourselves. How we are aware of our time currently in this world. You know, typically we're going to look at the idea of, in, of, of finite resources. We want to be aware that time is expansive. Time will have connectivity to other generations. Time will have uh, different years and eras, you know, to maybe something really more finite, some, a brief moment in time to something even larger, to the infinite and indecidable. How do we then move through these different scales? So I'm hoping to really leave you with three things that I took away from my week here. As we address the idea of reconnection, how do we co-create with each other? How do we 
connect on our own terms, self-determination. How do we want people to connect with us and how do we connect with ourselves? How do we acknowledge our history and our present moment and create an abundance and an abundant future? How do we encapsulate and incorporate our sense of self and our sense of time? So I would love again to have further conversations with you all today. Again, it's been an honor to spend time with you and be have spent time this week in this amazing group of people, in this amazing community and environment. Thank you so much for this moment that we all are currently addressing. Thank you. Thank you.